Welcome to Hunt Land. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. I'm Joe Baia here with my co-host Clint Flowers, and uh, Clint, I'm excited about today's show. We've got a question that I know I get quite a bit. Have you figured out uh, what size tractor you need for your place yet? Yeah, I think I do, but I'm going to learn a lot today because I always feel like I want to upgrade. Yeah, no doubt. Well, we're going to get into a lot of the variables that you need to consider regardless of what size property you have and and how much ground you're really managing a little bit later in the show. But uh, right now, let's hear from this week's show sponsor, and that is Alabama Ag Credit. Buying rural property isn't the same as buying in town. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, give our friends at Alabama Ag Credit a call. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, they can help you with everything from homes and land to tractors and crops, because sometimes natural resources need financial resources, and while some lenders don't get it, they do. You can learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com. Well, Clint, before we cover a lot of ground this week with regards to tractors, let's check back in with Acre Trader and Ben Maddox. And uh, Ben, welcome back to Huntland, man. What are we going to be talking about this week? We've been covering all the different farmland values and how those uh, vary across the country. And we've seen some wild, wild differences as we've gone. I think the very first time we had you on the show about what creates the value, you know, is it is it commodity pricing? Is it yield and productivity and, and all these different things. So, you know, what are we going to be talking about today? Yeah, well, thanks again for having me, Joe. Today, you know, I wanted to give an update on the progress of the corn and soybean harvest nationally in the United States. Uh, you know, we're recording this on the 13th of October. Uh, so we're about, you know, call it roughly halfway through harvest season. And so we're going to go through a quick update on what the expectations were for the crop this year, the progress on harvest so far, and what the outlook is going through the end of the year. So, you know, as I mentioned, we're going to look at two principal crops in the U.S., corn and soybeans. And, you know, it's worth asking, you know, why focus on those two crops? Uh, you know, they make up 65% of all planted cropland in the United States, and that's a 180 million acres. So it's a huge part of the agricultural economy and, and in many ways are a uh, serve as a bellwether or a measuring stick for the progress of the farm economy. So we're going to look at those two crops in particular today. You know, we you're talking about corn and soybean harvest progress. One of the things we deal with here on the Gulf Coast is the H word. We don't like to say it, but how do big storms and, and things like that? You know, we had we had big flooding in the Midwest last season. How the, how have these natural disasters? How do they affect that harvest? Are we seeing any effects from from these storms? You know, negative effects. Yeah, certainly. You know, picking up on your point about the rainfall in the Midwest in 2019, because there were so many acres flooded out and in prevent plant last year, we've actually seen a roughly 10% increase in planted acreage of corn and soybeans in 2020 year over year, simply because so few acres got planted last year. So that, that shows you sort of the depth of the problem there. With respect to, uh, you know, the Gulf Coast and the weather down there, you know, I would say hurricanes and tropical depressions have certainly been slowing the harvest in the South, but everything that I've heard so far is that the crop is actually looking fairly good in the South. Um, where we've gotten into issues as far as crop quality is concerned uh, is really the, the plain states and parts of the Midwest. They're, you know, in a moderate to severe drought in some different areas. Um, and of course, Iowa had that uh, derecho wind event in August, which which flattened huge swaths of the state's corn crop, mostly in the central and eastern part of the state. So, 
you know, even far away from the Gulf Coast, we're not immune to, uh, you know, high wind events damaging the crops. Ben, why is it important for you guys at AcreTrader to monitor the harvest progress? It's a good question. One of the things we like to do is sort of watch what the, you know, there's three moving pieces here. There's the estimated planted acreage, the USDA and uh, different analysts will come out in trying to estimate how many acres farmers are going to plant based off of, you know, largely market conditions and some uh, environmental conditions. The second piece is how many acres actually get harvested and what the yield is per acre. And then the third piece uh, that we really want to take into consideration, what are the ending stocks on hand? So how much supply is there? Um, and that's obviously going to affect the, the demand and then the price for crops. So those are really the three pieces we're looking at any given time. And what they really add up to is what is the spot price for a particular commodity being paid? And, and while we don't uh, attempt to predict or project what potential crop prices will be at AcreTrader, we're really more concerned about what is the potential revenue per acre on any investment we might have on our website. And so that's why we're really tracking these indicators uh, before the season, during the season, and even following through to the winter. Do you see any correlation between, you know, good harvests, let's say in the previous year, or bad harvests, and subsequent farmland value going forward from there? Yeah, I think that's certainly the intuitive response is that, you know, a, a negative harvest might lower land values. But but the reality is, uh, you know, based off just some anecdotal evidence from Iowa and Illinois on the uh, sales over the last 30 days, is that the land market's staying really strong. You know, one important thing to remember is that the the average national yield for corn and soybeans is trending upwards over the last couple of decades. The, you know, the average national corn yield is 178 bushels per acre, more or less, and, and soybeans about 50 bushels per acre. And, you know, we've been progressing of about, you know, called a bushel or two additional every single year on that national average. And so, you know, while we'll certainly have some bad years in certain areas of the country, um, the trend line is definitely positive and uh, leading to higher farm revenues. Well, Ben, that, that's a lot of information and things are sounding better than I guess we expect on, on most of 2020. But so how are we looking market-wise so far? Yeah, it, like I mentioned earlier, there's actually pretty good weather at the beginning of the year for most farmers. Things have gotten a little bit tricky with droughts and uh, hurricanes and tropical storms, as we mentioned. Um, but as far as where we're at in the harvest sequence right now, uh, on a national average, we've got about 25% of the corn crop harvested here on the second week of October. Uh, the South and Midwest are behind average progress with the Plain States a little bit farther ahead. Uh, with the soybean harvest, uh, we're about 38% complete nationally. And again, same trends. The South and Midwest are a little bit behind and the Plain States doing well. And, and some of that delay in the South obviously has to do with the repeated hurricanes we've had off the Gulf. You know, we're seeing pretty sporadic results in terms of crop yield as the initial harvest supports come in. You know, those droughts and rainfall events are definitely hurting the back-end productivity of some of these crops. But, you know, I think the real story has been, you know, again, we're here in October. Over the last month or so, we've had a, a real rally in uh, particularly soybean prices, but corn has risen as well. And I think that largely has to do with two things. The first would be uh, we've had record purchases from China for both of those crops. So the export market came back to life uh, this fall. And the second part would be, you know, we just got the October USDA supply and demand report uh, showed that our ending stocks on hand were much lower than anticipated. So we're using a lot more of that crop than uh, was forecasted. 
and that has led to uh, rallies in prices. Again, as of today, soybeans somewhere around ten dollars and thirty cents a bushel, and corn around three ninety. I think the uh, relative lack of stocks on hand in the October report means that we might be able to expect uh, stronger prices throughout the winter. So I think that's really going to be impacting planting decisions going into 2021 with farmers perhaps favoring soybeans a little bit more over corn than they historically would because of the strong pricing. Ben, for the investor who is working with you guys at AcreTrader, what does this mean for them? Are your investments set up where they are taking part in a good year with regards to to yields? Or is it hands-off, purely just land rents? And explain to me, you know, what this means for the investor. Yeah, sure. There's sort of two takeaways. Uh, the first would be there there is some additional premium captured uh, through investments with acre traders that are on what we call flex leases. So the majority of properties through the acre trader platform are just simple cash rent arrangements. And in, and in that case, there's no exposure to crop yield. But in a flex rent arrangement, there's a sort of a cash floor or a cash minimum paid in terms of rent. And then if commodity prices increase, then both the farmer and the investor share the upside scenario there with appreciating commodity prices. So there is some uh, potential upside, obviously, for both the farmer and the investor. Uh, the other thing that you know I would say about that is we don't make farmland investment decisions based on short-term pricing events and commodities. That said, you know, I think this is a helpful uh, anecdote to look at when we consider, you know, back in the spring, it was pretty doom and gloom. Uh, corn was down near $3 in a lot of places and, and folks just couldn't, uh, you know, they couldn't make it pencil in terms of their P&L sheet for the, for the farm. And now here we are almost $4 corn again in the fall, six months later. And I think it just goes to show that uh, nobody knows what commodity prices are going to do. And, uh, you know, you can't make your underwriting decisions based on the spot price on any given day, week or, or month of the year. Well, Ben, I know I am on your email list and I, and I get notifications every time y'all put a new property on the market. Do you have anything that's going online here soon uh, or online now uh, for folks that are interested in maybe a, you know, a Midwestern uh, corn and soybean farm? A good question. Uh, yeah, actually, we just completed the investment for a, a farm in Illinois today that was in corn and soybeans. But within the next week, uh, we'll be putting up a 170-acre farm in Indiana that's also producing corn and soybeans. And uh, you can go to our website, acretrader.com, just check out the current investments when that goes live. If you'd like to get an email notification that uh, lets you know when these properties come available, just go to uh, info at acretrader.com, send us a message, and we'll be happy to get you on the list. Well, Ben, thanks again for joining us, man, and, uh, and sharing a little bit about the harvest progress. We're going to be looking forward to continuing the conversation again next month and continuing to cover what's going on in the farmland value uh, market and what drives those numbers. And uh, we appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us and we we'll hope you uh, stay safe and we'll talk to you again soon, buddy. Thanks a lot, guys. Talk to you soon. Clint, I really enjoy anytime. I, I enjoy investment analysis, just, you know, looking at a piece of land and thinking about all the factors that go into creating that land's worth and how much income that land's going to be able to produce. And, and I like it for not just land, you know, I like doing it with residential rental properties and I like doing it with, you know, equities in, in publicly traded companies. It's, it's, that's interesting to me, but it takes a lot of time and to truly analyze something and think about all the factors. And then there's some things that of course are just 
always going to be outside of your control, but it's really cool to see that the guys over at Acre Trader, how deep they're getting into. I mean, even like, you know, like you were saying, 170 acre farm, there's a ton of analysis going into every single investment they bring to the market. And, and you don't have to save up, you know, enough money to buy that 170 acre farm. You're able to buy a portion of it and know that they have taken good care of it. Do you, I mean, do you enjoy doing, I know your, your background, your, your education is in investment analysis, right? Yeah. And I do. And, and I was an appraiser for seven years as well as a land broker until the broker side outgrew it. So I still come at everything from that analytical standpoint. So it's always nice to have all that data at hand to, to help make an educated decision. Yeah. And, and know that the, <laughs> know that if you're buying something, you know, that you got a, uh, a group of guys that are smarter than you are uh, looking at it from all those angles too. Pretty cool to see what all goes into the, the investments over there. But guys, this week's harvest progress update has been brought to you by Bay County Armory. And Clint, last week, uh, I was able to get over to Bay County Armory actually in, and build an AR-15 uh, with Sonny Vincent, the owner. Building a custom AR-15 is pretty daunting. I mean, there's so many different variables that go into building one. I actually spent three hours with Sonny looking at different options and really kind of drilling down into the minutia of, hey, what do you want to do with the barrel? What do you, what length barrel do you want? What twist barrel do you want? What do you want to do with the finish? What do you want to do with the trigger group, the handguard? Every single component of that AR-15 spent three hours really learning from him uh, what goes into it. And, and I'm really excited about the build that, that he's going to be putting together for me. Guys, if you are thinking about an AR-15 or an AR-10, I can't recommend these guys highly enough. You need to give Bay County Armory a call. You know, they support this podcast. If you listen to this podcast and you enjoy it, give those guys a call over there. You're going to talk to the owner, Sonny. He's going to work you through everything that you want to build the custom AR-15 you're, you're thinking about for the purpose that you're wanting to use it for. Just give them a call at 850-832-2238 or you check them out online at Bay County armory.com clint i'm gonna be hunting with my ar this year have you uh you done any hunting with an ar yet i haven't i've got plans to but they haven't happened yet yeah it's uh it's a blast literally and i haven't hunted deer uh with one yet uh but i'm excited to do that i got a 6.8 spc with them it's going to be a, a really capable round i've killed some hogs with it and pretty impressive but man you can do anything you want caliber anything you want. I'll definitely be checking back with you guys on, on how things go with that. But, you know, the other thing, Clint, that we're going to talk about this week is tractors. And I get this question a lot from folks that are, they've just purchased a property and now they're getting, especially the, you know, the recreational guys, they're wanting to plant some food plots. They're wanting to keep their roads in shape, do a little work. And they want to know what size tractor do they need. And I'm kind of always I can't really answer the question correctly because I'm, I'm asking myself the, the same question. I mean, I know what I use and what works for you guys there on y'all's place. We've got a 45 horse Kubota that we sort of inherited with the land or actually from a client of mine who upgraded. We've got a larger tractor that we've had in the past. It was a, a John Deere with the cab and, you know, each of those have their own pluses and minuses. So I'm looking forward to getting more technical with that today. 
Yeah, well, we're going to be bringing on the expert this week, and that is Todd Ward with Sun South. Sun South has 21 locations across Alabama, Mississippi, and Georgia, and I, I know Todd has probably answered every question imaginable when it comes to picking out the right tractor. So, Todd, welcome to Huntland. Tell us a little bit more about what you do at Sun South. All right, I sell farm equipment, uh, provide information for customers, you know, based on what their needs are, try to supply what will meet their needs. I would imagine you get the question, what size tractor do I need? Probably every day. Yeah, quite a bit. Tell me about how it's been since, uh, since COVID-19. You know, I get to talk to a lot of businesses around uh, the hunting and, and fishing industries and boat sales, RV sales, gun sales are through the roof right now. What about tractors? Tractors are pretty much the same way. We've got probably less inventory available right now than we've had in several years because, you know, they're just, they're selling. We've been super busy. We've been very fortunate. People have come in looking for, I guess, looking for tractors to garden with, you know, since they've got time on their hands or, you know, you know, for whatever reason, you know, to get out to do something outside. But, uh, yeah, tractor sales have been great. And it's the same thing with land. You know, there's a lot of people that are realizing that with the shutdowns that, you know, having their own piece of land is really awesome because they can still get out and do things and recreate. And it sounds like you're hearing the same thing on the, on the tractor front. You mentioned for folks looking to do something like gardening and, and I want to kind of talk about small acreages today in two forms. We're going to talk about small farms and talk about small acreages. And, and just for the purposes of today's show, uh, we're going to define a small acreage as some as a mixture of land types. So this could be somebody that has a, a piece of land that is it's got some pasture, some timberland, maybe some agricultural land. Maybe they got a home on it. Whereas a farm, we're going to identify that as just someone who's who's growing crops, you know, or 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 livestock. So for let's let's start out since the name of the show is hunting land. Let's start with hunting land. For guys that are planting food plots and, and are doing uh, habitat management for wildlife, what questions do they need to ask themselves when they're considering the best tractor for that purpose? Well, generally, a lot of people will call and they'll ask for a specific tractor, not knowing exactly what they want or what they need. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I try to kind of qualify them as to what they actually need according to the task that they're wanting to do or want to achieve, you know, with the equipment that they purchase. And, you know, when it gets down to doing food plots or whatever, there's several things that come into play. You know, everybody's looking for a 35 to 65 horsepower tractor to plant food plots with, and, you know, then they go into what they're familiar with, you know, and it, it kind of reads into it. but there's a lot of different variables into choosing the right size tractor for that task. And, you know, people consider one, their budget, you know, how much money they want to spend. But also when I say budget, they need to consider their budget as far as their time, because you can do the same task with a smaller tractor and less money, but it's going to take you more time. So you have to weigh out a lot of different variables in that and try to base your decision making on, you know, how you're going to budget your time and your money. So, I mean, that's exactly it right there. I mean, you're talking about a, a larger tractor. That's the big decision is, is how big do I need? And so is there something that, is there a question you can ask them, you know, to ascertain what goal do they have? Well, if that goal is planting food plots, 
are you looking at it from a how many acres are you planting perspective to recommend a size of tractor they need or are there is there some other factor that you want to look at that will play a huge part into it because if they're planting a lot of acres in the food plots then that time issue gets to be because when you're planting anything whether it's agricultural crops or food plots you have a window that you've got to get it done in you know because it takes x number of hours to get you know it prepared and everything done so if you're planting a lot of acres, you're going to need to use bigger implements, bigger pieces of equipment, you know, larger, wider, whatever, and it's going to take more horsepower. And everybody said, well, how much is enough horsepower? I said, well, you know, the old adage in tractors is it's better to have horsepower and not need it than to need it and not have it. If you underbind horsepower and you've got this equipment, you're really being counterproductive because you don't have the ump that you need to to actually do the task or the, you know, the work that you're asking it to do. And does four-wheel drive ever compensate for horsepower at all in, in that process it with, does. with larger implements? It does. What it does is when you go to a four-wheel drive tractor, you can have the horsepower, but the way you get the productivity out of that horsepower is you got to hook them to the ground because you're ground engaging equipment and whatever. So if you've got two wheels pulling, You've got enough horsepower to where you're turning those two wheels and it's spinning and, you know, you're losing your productivity and it's, you know, so the four-wheel drive, you've got more contact, more ground engaging, pulling power with a four-wheel drive tractor to hook those horses up to get the productivity out of them. From a demand standpoint, how important is four-wheel drive? Do you find that most people looking to plant food plots or, you know, using their tractor on, on uh, hunting type properties? that they're looking for four-wheel drive, you know, or, or is it something that is just uh, depending on what they want? I say that probably now we have evolved to, it's probably greater than 95% of people coming looking for tractors wanting a four-wheel drive tractor because, you know, most 99% of those tractors are going to put loaders on the front of them. Well, that four-wheel drive front axle helps you maneuver that tractor and handle larger loads on the front end of the tractor as well as on the back end of the tractor. So that's what we've seen that's evolved into more four-wheel drive tractors over the the past years. And we sell a few two-wheel drive tractors, but basically for specialty farms and stuff like that. And I guess the same thing, you mentioned the front end loaders, you know, when we're talking about a utility tractor, you know, that's just so awesome for all around work. I mean, you put a set of pallet forks on there and, you know, you can do all kinds of things, whether it's moving a shooting house or moving bags of feed or fertilize and they're awesome implements to have do you see the same amount of demand for front end loaders like is that evolved are most people wanting a front end loader now yes i'd say there's uh, the percentage of four-wheel drive tractors over two-wheel drive tractors i'd say at least 95 percent of those tractors are going to leave with a loader on it as somebody that grew up on a on a 40 year old tractor that the uh, old Massey Ferguson two-wheel drive that I had to use old seed bags as a seat cushion. We went from that to our first four-wheel drive tractor with a bucket. I mean, I can attest greatly to how much more we could get accomplished with that machine. I mean, it was a huge night and day difference from not only productivity, but also from a safety standpoint. Exactly. You know, we're talking about hunting land and we've kind of hit on the fact that that, that four-wheel drive can help you to get away with maybe a little less horsepower but do you have a rule of thumb for somebody that's listening to say 
this is how much horsepower you need. Uh, this is the size tractor you need. I mean, are, are they going to be looking at it from a what size implements? Like you're, you know, I'm trying to get back to what you're saying about calculating right. your time. You know, if you've got 10 acres to plant or you got, you know, one acre to plant, it's going to be a lot different. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the weather window. A lot of the guys too, it's, they got to plan on the weekends. Like they don't have, that's right. So it's got to get done. What's the rule of thumb somebody can use? Do you want to base it off of the size of implements you want to use? Well, what do you look at? Yeah, that's normally where I start. I normally ask them, do you have any implements now that you're using? And if so, what size are they? What is it? You know, so I can base, you know, cause you've got some people who, you know, like have turning plows. Well, I know it takes X number of horsepower per bottom on a plow or uh, some people pull subsoilers and it takes like 25 horsepower a shank on the subsoiler. So, you know, things like that, you figure into it and factor into it and soil types and everything else. But, and I, and I ask them if they have any experience on a tractor, if you've ever been on a tractor, are you familiar on how to operate one? You know, and because when you get into that, you know, just like you talk about the old Ferguson's, the, the 135 Ferguson's, that's what everybody tells me, you know, the historically, those size tractors they've grown up with, their dad or the granddad had one on the farm, and they've had experience with that. And so, and it did all they had to do, and they still have those implements, but the tractors did or whatever, so they want to utilize those implements. So you match the horsepower to that. So normally, you know, in that 40, 50 horsepower tractor range, it would give them a little bit, you know, a leg up on what they had before. So if somebody's starting from scratch, Todd, let's think of it that way. They've got no implements. They've just bought a piece of hunting land or they just bought a little hobby farm. And let's say that they're, they're going to be working maybe 10 acres or less. If you were going to set them up from scratch, what, what size tractor would you have them, would you set them up with? I would probably set them up anywhere from 30, 30 plus horsepower to, you know, to 50 to 60 horsepower. You know, and you have options on transmissions. In the compact tractors, you have the hydrostatic transmissions. You got two pedals, forward, reverse. It doesn't get much simpler than that. So if they don't have a lot of experience operating a tractor, I'd lean them more toward the compact line with the hydrostatic transmissions. If you've got more experienced operators, have a little bit bigger implements, you step up. You know, even a frame size in a tractor give you weight because the weight is what helps you hook your horses to the ground, the weight of the tractor, which gets back to that productivity formula. Then you step up a bigger size tractor, you know, frame size, not a whole lot more in horsepower, but you add weight and a bit bigger frame. It also has to do with, you know, if they're going to be moving it because, you know, you can get a lot of horsepower in a small package or you can get a heavier tractor with a little horsepower, but what are you going to transport it with? How are you going to transport it? That poses, you know, different obstacles for people. So it's just a lot to consider and, and everybody's different. So there's, you can't really cookie cutter anybody you know, with what exactly they need until you, you look at their whole situation. I like that because that's very much uh, the land business in and of itself is, you know, <laughs> when we talk about value in a piece of land, everybody wants to say it's this much per acre, but now you got to go look at it first. You got to see what's there. Uh, you're saying the same thing, but you know, I want to go back to what you said about transmissions because as a guy who has limited experience on tractors, my experience over the years has been 
the weekends we planted food plots. You know, I mean, we weren't, I was not a, uh, didn't grow up in a farming family, didn't grow up on an acreage where we needed a, needed a tractor. So I did not spend a lot of time on them. And as I've uh, started to run them more and more, the hydrostatic transmission for me has just been a godsend. It makes working a tractor much more fun to me. Why would somebody not want the hydrostatic? Are there any negatives to it? No. I have a lot of people who look at smaller tractors. You know, in our line, you've got the one through the through the eight series, nine series tractors, but the hydrostatic transmissions are more prevalent in the one through the four series tractors. They're not available in the five series, which is a little bit heavier tractor, and you, you have lines of tractors that cross horsepower ranges. So in that, like I said, if you can make it easier on a man to operate, where he is more comfortable operating it, then he also becomes a safer operator. Because if he is uncomfortable doing something, he gets nervous. He makes a mistake. That's how accidents happen. So that's also what I look at, you know, when you qualify somebody is for their experience and put them on something, put them in the seat of something. If they're not comfortable in it, Nobody buys a car without sitting in the seat. So I normally try to put them on whatever they're comfortable with. And, you know, and I've had some really big people buy some really small tractors. But that's what they were comfortable with. And they worked them. And they said they would did everything they asked them to do and wanted to do. It was perfect. And I would have never thought it, you know. So there's no golden answer to solve everything. But, you know, the utmost thing is safety because if you, nothing can ruin you know, everybody does this for their enjoyment, their personal enjoyment. Nothing can take that away like an accident. And farm accidents happen in the blink of an eye. So you keep them comfortable on the machine that they're operating. They get used to it. You know, they're comfortable operating. They're, they tend to be safer. I know that the tractors have definitely gotten a lot safer over the years. And, uh, and I've seen tractors get away from folks. And you're right, it happens so fast. You're not, you don't have time to react. What kind of safety features should somebody be looking for? Because those old Massey Ferguson's you're talking about, they're still out there. But what should somebody be looking for nowadays? You know, obviously there's the rollover protection, you know, cages and safety switches. And what what do you think is really important to consider? One thing, you you touched it, number one, is the ROPS, a rollover protection structure. You know, the old Masseys, the 135s, they didn't have that. Now, in the world in which we live in, and not only is it to be safer, but, you know, you also the liability thereof. People are always looking for a good deal and a good use tractor. And I try to tell them, you know, especially if they're inexperienced, if it doesn't have a rollover protection structure on it, if you buy the tractor, find one. Be sure you get one installed somewhere. That, a seat belt, because that ROPS, doesn't do you any good if you're not wearing a seatbelt. You fall off, you know, if it rolls over and you try to get off, that ROPS is there and it's put there to where if that tractor rolls over, it protects the operator and the operator station. So if you're not confined to that operator station when it rolls, it does you no good. So a seatbelt is another thing. An operator's safety presence switch in the seat so that if you come out of the seat, if you're running something on the PTO back there that it disengages the PTO or it kills the tractor, you know, because, you know, in times in the past, you know, everybody can remember that grew up on a farm, whatever, riding on the fender of a tractor or whatever, and that is a recipe for disaster. But those are some of the, the few safety items that I would caution everyone to look 
at when they go to purchase a tractor of any kind. Well, we talked a lot about hunting land, of course, and one of the other types of land we sell a lot of are what I'd call acreage home sites. You know, this is a guy, maybe he's got a hobby farm. You know, he's not making his living on corn and soybeans, but he is, uh, he's doing a lot of utility work around his land and using his tractor for a lot of different purposes uh, besides putting in food plots. Do things change uh, with regards to the the homeowner uh, who wants a tractor? Are there other considerations that they should have besides a guy that's planting food plots? They still have the same the same objectives, you know, for needing a tractor. And so they look at that when they purchase it. And a lot of large property owners is what we call them is, you know, they buy the compact tractors because they don't have a lot of areas and they got a lot of low hanging limbs. They need a smaller package, you know, so it's easier to maneuver around a lot of stuff. And it's easier to store. They store it in a building or whatever. But, you know, they, they tend to buy the smaller, the compact tractors, the ones with the hydrostatic transmissions. But they're, again, the same large property owners and a lot of people doing the food plots, they're buying the same equipment pretty much. You know, talking about implements, of course, we use, you know, brush cutters a lot on hunting properties, uh, dealing with saplings, smaller saplings and things like that. Uh, I've seen a lot of interest lately in in people looking at flail mowers as opposed to a brush cutter. Um, is there any other implement considerations? We talked about the size of the implements, but you know, what about hydraulics and and things like that? Does is there a certain horsepower uh, or a certain size tractor you've got to step up to to say get rear hydraulics, for example? Rear hydraulics are offered on. Most of these tractors, you can equip them with them. They may not come standard from the factory with them, but they can be added. The one thing that you have to keep in mind is any implement that needs rear hydraulics, basically most of the time your rear hydraulics are for maneuvering transport wheels. If it comes to running a hydraulic-driven piece of equipment, you need to look at the hydraulic flow capacity of that particular tractor, and that's what would limit you know, what tractor you buy with that implement. That's why. I most of the hydraulically driven implements, you know, they get kind of expensive sometimes. Uh, most of everything is mechanical. Gearboxes run off the power takeoff on the, the back of the tractor. But there are some out there, and you you see a lot of limb trimming implements now that, you know, they can jack up, fold up, and they cut limbs, you know, that are hydraulically driven because they got so many angles, it's easier to run it with a hydraulic motor. But safety is a key issue doing that as well. Anything that you get cutting debris up head high or eye level we say uh poses a, a good risk of personal injury todd's so we you know we've touched on the need for safety there and we've talked you know we touched on comfort earlier of operation but you know get into a different level of comfort you know we see those big tractors out there with cabs and ac and radio and all that you know those are are nice to have to you know be able to stay out there working longer uh, but it also helps, you know, if you've got people with allergy issues and things like that that I've seen out in the field. You know, what size tractor do you need to really start being able to get into a, a cab like that? Uh, one thing to keep in mind when you add a cab on a tractor, because I think you can get a cab on like a 39-horsepower tractor, you're going to have some power loss due to parasitic drives like your air conditioner compressor 
uh, heavier alternator, you know, more pull on your alternator. All those things rob horsepower from your engine, and that's going to rob it from your your actually, you know, the productivity that you're you're looking out of your tractor. So I would step up a little bit in horsepower if you're going to add a cab to it, just to be sure that you got the, the same power that you were looking for. It's funny you mentioned the cabs. Uh, over the years, I've had several people come in and buy tractors, and then you know a year or two later they come in, they trade them in, they want a cab. And I remember one year. I traded in two tractors. The reason was the same. Allergies. You talked about ragweed and everything else, goldenrod, all this stuff. You know, in the fall, it seems it eats you up. The next year, I had people come in there, and the number one reason, the two of them traded in, it was kind of odd, both of them were the same thing, was banana spiders. (laughs) They were tired of going down lanes to food plots and turning around and getting a banana spider in the face, you know. So it's kind of funny, but if people got different reasons for wanting cows. Yeah, that's a good one. I get that one a lot. Showing land, you know, if you come in to especially a river bottom track right after a a rainstorm, the banana spiders are always there to greet you and and, uh, give everybody a a nice surprise as you roll through the woods. You never know when one's going to swing in the cab. And luckily they're they're not as dangerous as they look, but they definitely, you know, when one crawls across the back of your neck, the cab of the tractor starts seeming a lot cheaper. <laughs> yeah, it does. It gets your heart rate up a little bit. Well, you talk yep. about safety too. You, you're you're cruising down a, a woods road, uh, you know, and and all of a sudden a spider web wraps around your face. You you forget real quick uh, about where you're going and what you're doing. <laughs> you got one thing on yeah. your mind at that point. Uh, That's right. They're yellow jackets, hornets, they tend to drive people inside of cabs too. Well, and just the sun and the heat, you know, I mean, like you were talking about time is important and you've got a window to get this stuff done. You can work a lot longer in a cab tractor than you can or maybe, you know, I'm sure there's guys out there a lot tougher than me that can just stay on them all day. But you, you sit in that AC and and are uh, protected from all the elements. You can get a lot of work done. You know, you were talking about how there's some parasitic things that will create a need for more horsepower. So you maybe buy a little more horsepower than you were thinking about uh, when it comes to a cab tractor. But let's talk about the resale aspect. So, you know, I'm just thinking if somebody buys a cab tractor and puts it on a, on one of these compact style tractors, is there going to be just as much demand for that if they ever wanted to resell it? Or, you know, is it, is it going to be that if you're thinking about a cab tractor, you really need to think about a certain size because that's what people are going to want to buy. Should you decide you want to resell or upgrade in the future? Yeah. You look at the market and, and what drives the market is, you know, what everybody wants, you know, pretty much. And they offer cabs on these smaller tractors. And I won't say it's a niche market, but there again, there's only so much you can do with a tractor that size with a cab on it. And when you go to your initial purchase, what you need to do is you need to compare what it's going to cost you to buy that tractor compared to one bigger that's going to, you know, that, that you look out there and everybody's looking for this size tractor. And I think there's, you know, you're going to see there's, there's some difference in the money, but in the end, you know, you're not going to lose as much money on a little bit bigger tractor. Yes, you you can get rid of those tractors, the smaller tractors, you know, because there again, anybody's looking for a new one, they're looking for a deal on a used one, but they're going to be looking for a better deal, I think, on a smaller tractor. But You know, earlier, and that brings to mind something you said at the very beginning of the show, that most of the people that you talk to, they're doing a lot of online research. They're coming to you and they're telling you, hey, I want, I'm looking for this particular tractor. 
at that point, then you're having the conversation similar to what we're having, but hopefully been able to actually get them in some tractors and get comfortable in this day and age, there's tons of information on the internet and you can definitely do your research there, but is that really enough? I mean, would somebody be better off rather than pouring over online materials? Would they be better off to just stop in to a tractor dealership and, and do a demo? I mean, how do you recommend somebody get started just in the beginning of figuring out what they want to buy? I, you know, I recommend everybody do their homework, you know, online. You can go to any kind of different websites for any kind of different manufacturer. You can go to some independent websites. It gives you all kind of data and you look at that. But yes, absolutely. The best thing to do is go buy a dealership and ask for a demo. Demos are very effective. And, and there's a the thing that I've learned a long time ago People want, they're going to buy what they want generally. And, you know, we've had a run in saying, you know, you'll starve to death trying to sell a man what he needs over what he wants. But there again, if you put them in the seat, then maybe they'll see a few things that maybe they don't really need or what better suits their needs. But yes, absolutely. The best way to do it is to do a demo. What about buying new, Todd? I mean, we all, you know, if you pay much attention to personal finance, you'll always see it recommended that you go buy uh, buy a used car. I mean, because they depreciate off the lot a lot. But then you also talk to folks to say, look, if you're going to keep a car for ten years, then it doesn't really matter that much. What about tractors? I mean, do they depreciate the same way a you know say a automobile does, or or is it a little different curve? I think it's a little bit different curve nowadays. And you can look at different things, you know, it's like cars. There are some cars that hold their value better than others. So when you're looking at this, you're looking at an investment. So you look at it from an investment standpoint, where do you, are you going to have most of your money 10 years down the road? The other thing is stepping into this investment right now, pretty much everybody is offering some kind of 0% interest rate on, on new tractors, on new equipment, uh, used tractors, they don't qualify for that. So if you do the math, you know, your payment may be the same thing. Buying new, you got a full warranty to lean on or whatever. And, you know, serviceability, getting something that you have some kind of insurance to lean on if something does happen because everything that's built by hand or, you know, by man, it's going to fail. It doesn't matter who builds it. At some point in time, if you use it, you're going to have some kind of failure. But what kind of insurance do you have to take care of you when that happens? You know, there are some things that you can offer on some used equipment, you know, like new. You can always buy extended warranties from a dealership, but if you buy one from an individual, you know, then you you don't have that, you know, special finance offer, you know, that makes obtaining a tractor easier than it would be, you know, if, if you just go to a dealership that offers special financing. You know, you brought up serviceability. What do you think somebody needs to consider when it comes to working on their tractor, uh, because like you say, it's going to have, it's going to happen, uh, routine stuff. I mean, does that come back to what you were saying earlier about being able to transport that tractor or with the new tractors that are coming out now with, with lots of, with the emissions regulations and things of that nature, is it still pretty easy to work on your own tractor? Or are you going to be bringing it back to the, to the dealership, uh, to get most of your, your maintenance done on your newer stuff? You can, you, you can do some things yourself. You can change your oil, you can, you know, change your filters, you can check this, that, or whatever. 
but the way technology has evolved, even in farm equipment now, uh, there's so much technology on them that inevitably you're going to have to go to a dealership to get some things resolved. So when you start looking at something, keep that in mind. Okay, so whatever I buy, if I have to carry it somewhere, how far have I got to go? Have I got to haul it? Will they come to it? You know, or different things to look at. Todd, if you're, let's say, a first-time landowner or you're a current landowner and you've got the, you know, just dated implements and tractor and you just want to upgrade your package to, I guess you'd say, current standards, I mean, do you offer package deals where somebody can come in and say, here's here's my, my scope of work and tell me what I need all the way through from, from tractor to transportation? Absolutely. The key question there is, you know, what they need and, you know, what would they gain the most use out of? And we would match it size-wise to their tractor and put them, we would build them any kind of package they needed. Uh, and that, it kind of helps purchasing multiple implements easier, you know, because a lot of times, a lot of things will qualify for the same finance rate that the tractor gets, which makes buying implements easier. Uh, so if you put it all together, it's easier to spread it all out. But yeah, we, we build any kind of package to, to meet anyone's needs. Well, Todd, I know you guys have, what, 21 locations now? Yeah. Across Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi. Uh, so that's convenient for folks if they do want to stop in and, and demo some products. You sell a lot more than just tractors, of course. But if that's what they're interested in, they can definitely get by one of your locations. But if, if folks want to look up uh, those locations uh, or speak to someone at SunSouth directly and, and really try to figure out what size tractor they need for their unique situation, what's the best way for them to learn more about you guys and, and contact you guys. They can get on the internet and www.sunsouth.com. You can look at all of our locations. You can choose any location. You can even scroll through our pre-owned inventory uh, and see what we have to offer. You can categorize it. It'll tell you where it's at. Just pick the closest location to you or and any of us will be more than happy to help in any way that we possibly can. Well, Todd, uh, you've been more than enough help today and we appreciate it and it's been a pleasure we'll uh we'll look forward to talking to you again next time we uh we got another tractor question hope you uh have a good rest of 2020 and uh we'll talk to you good soon deal. all right thank you so much clint be honest how many guys do you get buying land just so they can run a tractor well the toys always come into uh consideration and you know with most of those toys if not all of them being 100 percent tax deductible once you own land that's uh, always icing on the cake for those guys. That's right. Yeah, well, you got to have some land if you want to have a place to run your tractor. And uh, it's a tough uh, question, though, to answer. I, I think it's one of those things where do you ever really have enough tractor? I'll tell you what, though, those little compact tractors are mighty handy for, for hunting land, you know, specifically being able to get, you know, down logging roads and and work on uh, lanes and small, yeah, fire lanes and small little projects and not, you know, not hit any of your your trees that you're trying to grow at the same time. And uh, it's almost like, like boats. There probably is no perfect tractor. There's going to be some compromises. I, everybody wants the, the bay boat that they can get in six inches of water and, and then run 60 miles offshore. And the reality is that you're going to, you're going to compromise on both ends doing that. It almost seems like if budget's not a consideration, a, cu- a couple of tractors might be what you really need. Exactly. You've got a big tractor and a small tractor, and then you can do anything you want. Yeah, one for your wife and one for you.
So exactly. that makes sense. Well, folks, that is going to wrap it up this week. I hope this show helped you uh, figure out what size tractor you need. As always, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you would like us to email you this podcast each week, got a really cool option for you. Just text hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377 and you'll automatically be joined to our email list and get the new show each week. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you again next week. This week's show is brought to you by Alabama Black Belt Adventures and their new coffee table book, Black Belt Bounty. It celebrates the traditions of hunting and fishing so deeply embedded in the folks who get to call the Alabama Black Belt home and the folks who enjoy. It's got unbelievable writing from award-winning writers, excellent photography, and some really awesome recipes from some of Alabama's nationally recognized celebrity chefs. If you want to pick up a copy, just go over to the Alabama Black Belt Adventures website at Alabama Black Belt Adventures org slash black belt bounty and also the alabama ag credit as the local experts in rural real estate financing they can help you with everything from homes and land to tractors and crops because sometimes natural resources need financial resources and while some lenders don't get it they do learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com and also brought to you by Bay County Armory. Building an AR-10 or AR-15 can be a daunting task. Don't let the feeling of overwhelm stop you from having the exact AR you want. Give Bay County Armory a call at 850-832-2238 or check them out online at baycountyarmory.com. And also brought to you by Wildlife Management Solutions. The experts at Wildlife Management Solutions can guide you on selecting the best forage for your soils and goals. So give them a call at 877-400-8089 or check out their website with more information and a full dealer list at productsforwildlifemanagement.com.